0: Now, a few weeks ago, I had to pop into my local, local supermarket in order to pick up a few groceries, as you do. And as I'm standing there in the aisle, deciding on what type of chicken I want to buy, all of a sudden, I hear this humming in the background. I look up, and the person that I see, he totally doesn't fit the image that I had in my mind, and so I carry on. He gets a little bit closer, and he continues to hum. And so I look up, and it's at this point that he begins to apologize. And he proceeds to tell me that his wife passed away two years ago due to cancer. And since then, he has made it his mission to go and spread some cheer and joy wherever he goes. And so I said, great, bless you to which he replied, bless you too, whoever your God is. And before I can get a word out edgeways, he walked off. I tell you, I would have loved to have had a conversation with him, but alas, it wasn't meant to be. And so I blessed him and I prayed for him that he will come to know the true and the living God. Amen. Now church, I don't have to remind you, but we are living in some real troubled times where deception and apostasy are all on the increase and no one knows the way of peace because no one knows the prince of peace. And so this morning and continuing on in the same vein of Resurrection Sunday, Carmelo, thank you again for reminding us today. I would like to represent and reintroduce the Christ. Because in the words of Dr. Lockridge, he is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon. He is God's son, a sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization and the fundamental doctrine of true theology. I wish I could describe him for you. Well, that said, let us look at the preeminence of Christ and that's the title for this morning's message and if you have your Bibles with you then please open up and come with me to the book of Colossians and we're going to read from chapter 1 and verses 15 to 20 and it says this for he is the image cross. Hallelujah. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. Now, like most of Paul's writings, he often begins with doctrine and then he ends with the practicalities. Why? Because without orthodoxy, correct thinking, there can be no orthopraxy, correct living. True. And so, as Paul presents high Christological truth about King Jesus, not only does it feed our faith and fuel our spirit, but it also lays a foundation for us to discern the truth in order to counter any errors that may arise. And so, This letter is by no means irrelevant to us, but it is essential that we receive the truth about the preeminence of Jesus. Amen. Now before we get into it, allow me just to give you a little background. Because the church in Colossae, it was never founded by the Apostle Paul. But rather, it was founded by a disciple called Epaphras, who we are told got saved during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, Acts 19. And several years after its birth, a dangerous heresy known as Gnosticism began to arise. Now, the word Gnosticism in the Greek is the term gnosis, which means to know or knowledge. And Gnostics' beliefs, they were predicated on a number of false assumptions. As in, they promoted a kind of dualism or a differentiation between spirit and matter or flesh. Claiming that all spirit was good, but all matter and flesh is inherently evil. And as a result, they falsely concluded that anything done in the body, even the most grossest of all sins, it doesn't really matter. Because the flesh, it has no impact or bearing upon the spirit. To which the Apostle Paul would say, nonsense. Because they are both intricately interwoven to make up the whole human. Right? Secondly, Gnostics deviated from the truth and they embraced a lie, which amalgamated aspects of Jewish legalism along with pagan mysticism. In that, they kept the Old Testament dietary and ceremonial laws, but along with this they also practiced asceticism and the worship of angels. It's kind of like mixing oil with water, which as we know, the two, they don't mix. True. What's more, is that they claimed to possess, they claimed to possess a higher knowledge of the truth, unknown to the common people. And so they asserted that the only way of salvation was through this gnosis, or this special revelation or knowledge, and thus they denied our Lord. You see, they taught that there were these various ranks of spirit between God and man, and that Jesus was just another high-ranking spirit, a little bit above man, but beneath God. And we find this same absurdity alive and well today among certain groups like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Spiritists, and the like, who all present a false Christ, claiming that he was either the Archangel Michael, or the brother of Satan, or some other aberration or deviation from the truth. And so, greatly concerned about these heresies, Pastor Epaphras traveled all the way from Colossae to Rome to seek counsel from the Apostle Paul, who from a Roman jail cell begins to address the false teaching that was seeping into the church. And Paul wasn't one known to mince his words. But he says, and he begins by addressing it, by stating that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Praise him. What does that mean? Well, the word image, it conveys a couple of ideas. As Firstly... We find this word back in Genesis 1.27, where it says, God made mankind in his own image. And the word image in the Hebrew is the term Selem, which could also be translated as statue or a visible representation of an invisible being. You see, in ancient times, The statues of the gods would be erected in the temples in order to allow the worshippers to know what kind of God they are worshipping. So, when Yahweh creates Adam and Eve in his image, they become his image bearers and his visible representatives because, after all, the garden and the world is his temple. Amen. But as you know, the first Adam blew it somewhat royally. Well, then fast forward to Jesus. And it's in him that we find the true and perfect Selim or image of the invisible God. And Jesus makes the invisible visible as he puts a face to who God is. Praise God. It's like this. Just as a person taking a selfie of themselves, they capture the true likeness of themselves, right? Likewise, if God were to ever take a selfie of himself, then we would see Jesus. Because he is the exact representation of the Father. And the writer to the Hebrews, he concurs when he says that he is the radiance of God's glory. Hebrews 1, 3. And just as we feel the radiance coming from the sun from 93 million miles away, likewise, Jesus being the radiance of God's glory brings God from a cosmic location and makes him known. Wow. And just as we cannot separate the sun from its beam, likewise, we cannot separate the Father from the Son because they are both one. John 10 and verse 30. Amen. Amen. What's more, is that Jesus is the firstborn of not only the creative order, but also from the dead. Now, the expression firstborn, it could mean a number of things. In that, it could be used in the the literal sense, as in, Jesus was the firstborn son of Mary, Luke 2 and verse 7. Or, it could also be used in a symbolic sense, as in, Israel is my firstborn son, Exodus 4.22. However, it's from the Psalms that we discover its truest meaning. In Psalm 89 and verse 27, God, speaking of David, says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, according to the flesh, David wasn't Jesse's firstborn, but his lastborn. However, he was elevated to that of being first in rank and honor. And likewise, it was the Messiah who comes to the line of David to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And so it's in this sense that Jesus is the firstborn of not only creation, but also from the dead. And he is preeminent overall. Amen. Amen. And just in case anyone is under any other illusion, to make it abundantly clear, the term firstborn, it doesn't suggest that Jesus is a created being. No. Rather, he is the uncreated, pre-existing logos or word from, of the Father who existed with the Father and the Spirit before even time began. Wow. Wrap your mind around that. And so, even right there, we can just park it up right now because that alone is enough to make us fall on our faces and worship, yeah, right? Yeah. But Paul goes on, and he says, that all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And again, the writer to the Hebrews concurs and he says, yep, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I believe that this points back to creation itself when God creates his universe. I mean, have you ever known the sun never to rise one morning? And there was silence. No, right? The sun rises daily without fail. Why? Because not only does Yahweh create, but he also sustains his entire cosmos by the word of his power. Wow. I tell you, when I reflect upon how finely tuned our universe is, along with its billions of stars and galaxies, I am left literally in awe and wonder. I mean, get this. If the Earth's rotational speed were to ever slow down or speed up just a little bit, it would throw the whole world as we know it into total disarray and chaos. For instance, if the Earth's rotational spin sped up just a little bit more, a little bit faster, then due to the centrifugal force, it would cause thousands of gallons of water in the oceans to gather around the equator or the waistline of the Earth. And that would mean that countries like New York, Venice, Mumbai, along with many other nations would all be submerged under water if the earth spun that little bit faster. But thankfully... The earth spins on its axes at just the right speed and at just the right angle of 23.5 degrees, which enables us to have our four seasons of spring and summer, autumn and winter. And aren't you enjoying the spring season right now? Anyone? Or is it just me? It's my favorite time of the year when you see new life just spreading and the flowers in bloom and the little lambs lambing. Just wonderful. And as much as we don't like the winter, however, it is necessary in order to stifle the growth and the spread of deadly pathogens that are carried by certain insects. Coincidence? I think not. But rather, there is a designer who has created the entire universe along with all of its intricacies. I mean, if God were to ever abandon his creation and walk away from us, then quite frankly, the world as we know it will fall apart. There is no other way of explaining it. Well, thanks be to God. God. That he upholds the world by the word of his power. Hallelujah. Because he is preeminent over all. And that applies to the thrones and the dominions, the rulers and the authorities. In other words, the angelic beings, both holy and fallen. He is Lord and sovereign over all. Which is why the Apostle Paul could write in in Romans 8 and 38 to 39, when he said, For I am sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Glory. So again... After hearing all that, we can all say Amen and go home because nothing further needs to be added. Amen, Amen, says Angie. I think that's the wrap. that's a wrap now. We're all off. But Paul goes on. And he says that just in case that there is a smidgen of doubt let me tell you in no uncertain terms that in jesus the fullness of god was pleased to dwell in other words the totality of god's life and power was was dwelt within the person of jesus never before And never since has this ever been the case. Therefore, Colossians and Lighthouse Church know that Jesus is not a demigod or a semi-god or a high-ranking angel, but he is God of God. And he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. First Timothy three, sixteen. That's my Jesus. Amen. And awestruck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, You are amazing God. Untamable, unfathomable, and indescribable as the song goes. Amen. Amen. Wow. And after hearing all of this, the million dollar question becomes why? Why, Jesus, did you come? And why was your blood necessary on that cross? Why? Because it was the only way to bring peace and reconciliation between us and our holy God. You see, it's not through the means of accumulating more and more knowledge But it is only through the shed blood of the Saviour upon that cross which brings reconciliation. You see, what Jesus did upon that cross, it is profoundly unfathomable beyond compare. How so? Have a listen to this. Hebrews 12 Verses 22 to 24. There the writer gives us a glimpse of future glory. It's where we find myriads and myriads and multitudes of angels along with the spirits of the righteous. They are all gathered there together with God the Father and and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And as one commentator describes the scene, he says... It's as if the angels are stood, stunned, looking and saying, Lord, what happened? Because when the Lord of glory stepped down from heaven, he did so in the spirit. But when he returned, he returns in the flesh. And they are stunned and they are perplexed. And he replies with, my creation fell." And I went to redeem them. My love for them moved me to identify with them, to become one of them. And because of my love for them, I will always be one of them. Wow. Now, do you remember when... Post-resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples and and Thomas is absent. Remember that in uh, John 20? And how Thomas, he says, Unless I put my fingers into your hands and into your side, I will not believe. And then a week later, the Lord appears and he says, Thomas, come, put your fingers into my hands and into my side and see that it is I. And Thomas falls face down and he declares, Ho Kurios, Kai, in other words, the Lord of me, the God of me, or oh my Lord and my God. What's he doing? is a Jew ascribing worship to his rabbi and to do so is by placing Jesus akin to who Yahweh is and Jesus doesn't say no, 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 don't do that which what a normal Jew would have done but the Lord Jesus receives his worship. Now, do you know what this means? Some scholars assert that it means that the glorified body of our Lord will forever bear the marks of the cross. And the Lord Jesus says, he says, I knew that if I were to redeem you, I would have to take on a body of flesh, be beaten to a pulp, whipped to the point of death, have spikes driven through my wrists and my ankles and have a spear thrusted through my side. And I knew that I would have to rise in that body to prove that my resurrection conquered death. And I knew that if I rose in that body that I would have to carry those holes forever. And you know what? I did it anyway, because that's how much I love you. Wow. And so, when the saints arrive on eternity's shore, as it were, and when the Lord stretches out his arms towards us, we will see his nail-pierced hands and we will be reminded that that was the price that was paid to rescue us. That that is how much he loves us and that that is why we call him Savior. Can somebody give the Lord praise right now? <laughs> Glory. Glory. Oh. Yeah. Now, after hearing all of that, how could one ever possibly walk away from him? Shouldn't we instead yield more of our lives to him, right? But more than that, and more importantly... How, can, how on earth could we ever possibly hold and keep this truth to ourselves without sharing it with anyone else? Amen? And I'm glad you have amen to that because I cannot wait to get out, get equipped and to get out onto the streets of Harlow. And so I do hope that you have put those dates into your diaries because there is, the harvest is ripe. And there was silence. (laughs) But I do hope you're getting excited on the inside of you. Because the harvest, this is why we are here. A a hill, you know, a light set upon a hill to emit Christ's life and light. Amen. Amen. Now, can I assume that you have all seen the classic, that film, Schindler's List? Anyone? Yes. Anyone seen it? If you haven't, then spoiler alert, but you should have seen it by now. It is quite out there. As you know, it's a film that depicts the horror that the Jewish people faced under the Nazi regime back in the, during the, uh, the Second World War. Just unbelievable. And the scene that always gets me, always moves me, is towards the end. It's where the war is finally over. And the Jews are now free. But the Nazis are now forced to flee. And because of Schindler's affiliation with the Nazis, he also has to flee. Otherwise, he could be tried and possibly hung. And so... Before he goes, all of Schindler's Jews that he saved secretly, over a thousand of them, they all gather around and to thank him. And just just before he's about to drive away, he looks at his car and he begins to weep. And he says, I could have saved another ten more people if I sold that car. He takes out his gold pen. He says, I could have sold this and saved one more. I could have saved just one more. And he weeps and he weeps. In other words, he finally sees the value of human life and he weeps because he was unable to save just one more. Church, do we ever weep over the soul's in hollow that are perishing right now? Do we have the cry of John Knox of old who said, God, give me Scotland lest I die? Do we have that? You see, we cannot claim to be a follower of Christ without caring for the souls that are perishing because that's God's heart and his mission and people are lost. And they need Jesus. And we have this hope. So why would we keep it to ourselves? Why wouldn't we share it with the world if it is the best news that we have ever received? I guess the question is, is it the good news, the best news that we have received? Because truthfully, before we are able to tell others, we personally need to be convinced of it for ourselves. We need to be convinced as to who Jesus is. Or in the words of the biblical authors, We need to make our election sure and we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because we don't want to be like those that John describes in 1 John 2.19 when he says they went out from us but they were not of us, meaning that they never really knew him. And so church let us return to our first love. Let us rediscover the Christ so that if ever we come across a false Christ or the spirit of Antichrist, that we will be able to discern it and know it. But more than that, let us live in a way that demonstrates that we belong to Jesus, even if it means risking our reputation or losing our livelihood or even our lives, so be it. He is worth it, is he not? Amen. Amen. Now thankfully, we are not called to die for him in this part of the world, you'll be pleased to know. But we are called to live for him. In fact, Sadhu Sundar Singh, an Indian convert in the late 1800s, he put it this way. He said, it is easy to die for Christ. It is hard to live for him. Because dying only takes an hour or two. But to live for Christ, it means to die daily. He then goes on. And he says, only during the years of this life are we given the privilege of serving each other and Christ. And we shall have heaven forever, but only a short time for service here. Therefore, we must not waste the opportunity. My sentiments, exactly. And so, just as my friend humming his way through the aisles of a supermarket, seeking to spread joy, let us also take a leaf out of his book and do the same. Because we are the ones who carry and have true joy, because we are the ones who know the true joy giver. Am I right? And as people see our lives, let us live in such a way that people are compelled to inquire and ask what is it about you that even in the midst of this cost of living crisis, a health scare, whatever it may be how is it that you seem to have it all together and may we have the opportunity to say well actually we're not holding anything together but rather it is in him that all things hold together because he is preeminent and he is sovereign over all. And it's in him that we have the victory as we have been singing this morning and that they can too. Amen. This church is the message that we carry. It's nothing new. doesn't need to be updated or upgraded or any of those other things. But the same message of the cross, these timeless truths, will continue to stand the test of times. Fashions and fads and design, all of those things will come and go. It's like, I think now, you know, it was skinny jeans, but now it's flares, right? It just regurgitates itself they all seem to just come back in a loop because there is nothing new under the sun. But Christ Jesus, he remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is a God who not only speaks all of these things, but his word continues to speak. And mankind, we haven't changed that much, even though there's been two millennia in between or even long before but we still have those same basic felt needs. We still need the love of the Savior. We still need belonging. We still need hope in this life, no matter how advanced we get technologically and all the, all the rest. And Christ, he is still the solution for today. So let us know him and let us make him. And if you're here this morning and if this is all new to you and you've never heard it before and you don't know this one, the living Savior, the living and resurrected Christ, if you do not know him, then I urge you, don't leave this building without coming to know him today. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, often people say, when I get back on my my deathbed, I will maybe confess, repent there. Some people do get that grace. Others, they don't. And so while it is today, today is the day of salvation. So if you do not know him, then please, or if you've got any questions, then please grab one of us and we would love to speak with you. But for the rest of us, let us not just let this this word, God's holy word, and let it not be like water off of a duck's back, but let us ponder it. Let us reflect and let us take it in to ourselves because that's where the power lies in his word as we mix it with faith, as the writer to the Hebrew says. We mix the word and faith together and it becomes explosive, dynamis power and where we get dynamite from. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Precious and merciful Father, God, we still stand in awe of you and we will continue to stand in awe of you, Father, until we see you face to face. Father, we want to thank you for what your word says in the book of 1 John, Lord, that see what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God, and so we are. And then he goes on to say that, beloved, we are God's children now, and we don't know what we will be, but when we but we will we will be um transformed when we see him face to face. And so, Father, we want to thank you, God, that you have made yourself known to us. You have revealed yourself by your Spirit. And, Holy Spirit, we pray, God, that you will continue to woo us and draw us, Father. Lord, wean us off the things of the world, the trinkets that charm us here and now. And, Lord, draw us and give us an appetite for the things of your Word and your Spirit, O God. Father, we give you thanks that you are, Father, above every other ideology and every other philosophy, Father, that these things will come and go. But your word, Father, is forever settled in the heavens, and there is no turning with you, God, not a shadow. And you are light, and in you there is no darkness, what all, uh, what all Father. And we thank you, God. And neither can you be tempted and neither do you tempt, Lord. And Father, we thank you that you are faithful towards us. And God, it's with that knowledge that we can rejoice like a child, Father. We can just rest in the presence and in the arms of Jesus, knowing, God, that we are carried by you. That it's never the branch that supports the vine, but it's always the other way around that you, O God, are supporting us. And like a branch, it doesn't need to run around like a headless chicken, but it just needs to abide and rest and stick and cling to the vine. So Father, I pray that as we abide in you, as we rest in you, May you, Father, reveal more and more, Father, riches and wonder like Paul prayed, that may we know the height and the depth, the length and the breadth and the width of the love of Christ. Father, earlier on in that passage, you speak so that may God strengthen you in your inner man or woman because we need that strengthening because as you reveal more and more of yourself to us, Father, it will crush us. But God, you are the one who strengthens us to behold you, God. So Father, we pray. Draw us. Father, fill us up and send us out. In Jesus' name, amen.